So today we're continuing a teaching series called The World According to Jesus, where we are walking through uh, the most famous and also the longest sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus covers a a wide variety of topics, each of which is is truly relevant to our everyday lives. And and some of the topics are are rather sensitive, and and today's is, is certainly no exception. Uh, today, as you might have guessed from the reading, uh, we are going to look at Jesus' teaching on, on lust, longing, and temptation. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, great. What a great Sunday to bring a friend. You're welcome. But here's the reason we talk about this. We're talking about this, number one, because Jesus talks about it, and I'm kind of beholden to talk about and teach about the things he does. Number two, this whole area of, of lust and sexuality is, is one of the most common areas of question that I get as a pastor from you, especially younger people. And so there is a sense of, of urgency about understanding what is the Christian sexual ethic. Now, you and I, we live in a day where Christians as a whole have kind of lost cultural credibility on this topic. There is a belief by many that, that, that Christians are, are kind of backward and uninvolved and, and incapable of talking with any intelligence about this. And I will concede that that may be the case with some Christians, but it is certainly not the case with Christianity. In fact, I would argue to you that the Christian sexual ethic is one of the most intriguing, if not alluring, things about the Christian faith. Right out of the gate, one of the things you realize when you, when you look at the scriptures and you see its teaching on sexuality, you see that, that Christianity teaches that, that sexuality, and you already know this, has incredible power. It has incredible power. Uh, such powerful force that we are so very easily overwhelmed by it and don't know what to do with it. So case in point, in the 1800s, uh, there was a doctor in my home state of Michigan who thought that an unrestrained sex drive was the greatest threat to humankind. Greater than smallpox, greater than world war. And so he wanted to do something about it, about restraining sex drive in human beings. And so he he created this mix of of like oatmeal and and cornmeal, and he baked it, and then he crushed it up, and he prescribed it to be eaten first thing in the morning by young men as a way of restraining their sex drive. That doctor was Dr. Harvey Kellogg. And his creation is what we know as cornflakes. That is the truth. You can look it up on Wikipedia. That is the truth. Now, it failed horribly as a, as a prescription, but, but found wild success as a breakfast food. It also explains why when I was in high school, my mom kept insisting that breakfast was the most important meal of the day. Or think of music. How many great songs have been written about work? Not many. How many great songs have been written about food? None that I can think of. Now, how many songs have been written about love and lust and longing and everything else that comes with it? Like all of the good music is written about those things. You've probably, over the course of your life, written a really bad song about someone you love. I love you forever, right? First of all, not possible and not good. It is such a powerful force that it is best described in poetry, in artistry, and song. It is a powerful and can be overwhelming force. Now, now the other thing that you and I know is that if we let this force overwhelm us, if we let it overwhelm us, 
it can destroy us. This beautiful gift, if it overwhelms us and overtakes us, can be highly destructive. About six years ago, I took my daughter on a trip to Yosemite in Northern California. You ever been there? It's, it's spectacularly gorgeous. I can't recommend it enough. But when we were there, they were just recovering from some horrible wildfires. Uh, there was a camper who, who lit a fire in the wrong spot, and a spark got loose, and it started a fire that burned for nine weeks, and it burned 257,000 acres. 257,000 acres. And so when we were there, there were signs all over the place that said, do not light a fire, do not light a fire, do not light a fire. Whatever you do, do not light a fire. And that's a great analogy, I think, to the power of sexuality. Uh, like, a, like a flippant fire can scorch an entire acre, disrespected human sexuality can end up consuming and harming the very people it's meant to bless. And that's the point that Jesus is making in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 28. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adulteries, referencing the Ten Commandments. But listen to what he says. But I say to you, in other words, he's going to add on to this commandment, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I know he doesn't say that it also applies the other way, but ladies, you're not off the hook. It also applies the other way. For Jesus, sexuality was such a strong force that if it was allowed to, to just burn without any restraint, without any boundaries, it could be just as ugly as committing adultery itself. So if, if sexual urge and desire is allowed to burn within someone without any restraint, without any boundaries, it can end up being just as destructive as committing what we all clearly know to be a sinful act. Now, I want to be clear in saying this. The Bible does not have a negative view of sexual desire. Not at all. If you've read the scriptures, you read Genesis 1, you read Song of Solomon, and a whole bunch of other places, it's clear that, that sexuality is described as a gift of God, something that should be cherished and celebrated. But it's also something that carries with it immense force. What Jesus is discussing here is not the gift of sexuality in general. What Jesus is discuss discussing is lust, which could be defined like this. Lust is undisciplined and ultimately destructive desire. Undisciplined and ultimately destructive desire. Um, it, is, it is desire outside of the, the boundaries and the focus of a spouse and a bedroom. Uh, think of it like fire. That's the fireplace. And fire is good, but it's best when it's within the boundary of a fireplace that can contain it and focus it. And then it can, it can, it can cook a great meal. It can warm a whole house. It can do amazing things when it's within boundaries and limits, when it's focused. Sexual desire that has no fireplace, so to speak. It devours anything and anyone in front of its eyes or in front of its hands and uses it as fuel for fire. It uses the coworker who walks past the cubicle and you stare just a little too long. It uses the video that you stumble upon on your smartphone. It uses the guy or the girl that you're kind of seeing on the side of the person that you found on the dating app that you're trying out. It uses all those things as fuel for a fire that has no container around it. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying you have to be on guard of lighting the fires outside of the container that can discipline it and focus it and help you get the most benefit out of it. And when you fail to do that, when you're just looking and lusting or searching at something that you shouldn't be searching for or, or enjoying this gift outside of that boundary in any way, shape, or form, Jesus is saying that power of sexuality is not being respected and there's a really high likelihood that someone's going to get scorched. That's what he's saying. Now you might say, but yeah, Matt, Jesus talks about hell in this passage. Is he saying that, that if, you, if you somehow fail to steward the gift of sexuality rightly, that that's a one-way track to hell? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. A more accurate translation is not to use the word hell, but to use the actual word, which is Gehenna. And Gehenna was a garbage dump outside of the walls of Jerusalem. It was where everybody piled their trash, and it was relentlessly on fire. And it became a synonym for being far from God because it was outside of the city. It became a synonym for being full of corruption because it was full of garbage and trash. It became a synonym for being consumed by destructive forces because it was always burning. And what Jesus is saying is, is if, if, you, if you try to take this gift of sexuality and it's not focused at all and you just let it burn, Gehenna can happen to you. Feeling really far from God, full of stuff you're not proud of, and being burning with a force that you can't really seem to control. That is what he's talking about. So the question that becomes, for people of faith, then how do we, how do we responsibly, respectfully utilize this gift and then maximize its joy? Well, it begins with this. It's, it's recognizing that, that sexuality is two things. This is where the scriptures lead us. Sexuality is is both a reflection and a resource. It's a reflection and a resource. We'll, we'll start with, with the reflection. Uh, sexual desire is meant to be a reflection of a much deeper need that human beings have. It is not an ultimate need in and of itself. It's a gift that you're meant to enjoy, but it's meant to make you mindful of the relationship you ultimately can have and should have that is much more fulfilling with the giver of the gift. It is a reflection of a greater need, not an ultimate need or an end in and of itself. So the Popovitz family, we love a really good road trip. We love to pile in the car and drive to somewhere fun. But what I've learned over the course of many road trips with my family is that my kids are really weird on road trips. In particular, they love a good rest stop or gas station. Like they get excited about them. Now I'm as, I'm as big of a fan of Bucky's as the next guy. But my son, when we're driving on the highway, he will ask me, Dad, 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 can we, can we go to the gas station? Dad, 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 he sees a rest stop. Can we go to that rest stop? And I said, why, do you have to use the bathroom? No, 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 it's fun. They might have games there and food there and candy there. And I'll have to say, son, you realize that, that we're going to someplace better than a gas station, right? And that if we make that our destination, we're going to miss out on something much, much better. Like it's called a rest stop because you're supposed to rest there, not vacation there. We don't vacation at Valero. <laughs> Sexuality is, is similar in this sense. For some, it becomes an ultimate destination. 
it becomes this ultimate need, this ultimate thing, this, this primary identifier in your life. But, but what Christian faith teaches us is that it's a gift and it's, amazing, it's an amazing thing, but it's not the whole thing. It is not the destination in any way, shape, or form. It's meant to bless you, but ultimately to awaken you to a need that you have to be fully known. To be fully known by other people, but ultimately to be fully known by the one who made you. It's meant, to, it's meant to awaken an awareness in you and an appreciation for you that you need to be fully known and that you're on a journey toward wholeness and oneness in this life. It's a wholeness and a oneness and a being known that is glimpsed in the one that sleeps with you, but is only fulfilled through the one who made you. Are you following with me? It's a gift that is meant to grow an appreciation ultimately for the giver and all that he brings. And then this is where Christ takes center stage. If you've been around Christianity for any length of time, you know that Christ is often called the king of kings. We believe he's the king of the world. We also believe that he's a king with a queen. Actually, a a betrothed queen, one that he's about to wed. This is the language of scripture. And it is the church that is the betrothed bride of Jesus Christ. We are the ones, through forgiveness of all of our sins, that he has dressed in white like a bride for her wedding day. And this is why you see in the scriptures bridal language in places like Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says that through the forgiveness of sins, this is what Jesus was up to. He forgave our sins so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's wedding language. Church, you collectively, you are the bride of Christ. He has made you white and beautiful like a bride on her wedding day. And in the very end, when he returns, we will meet him dressed in the whiteness of forgiveness. And he will carry us across a threshold into eternity to establish a new home and a new life with us that will never end. And the joys of that place will be so overwhelming, they will make even the greatest of joys here seem like, you know, eating cardboard for breakfast and going to Bucky's on vacation. And you have to wrap your mind around this because if you don't, your understanding of of sexual desire and relationships will at the very least be unfulfilling and at, at worst be very warped. No one can love you completely and fully to the place where you feel full and complete. No one. But Jesus can no one can, can give to you without end grace upon grace and upon grace to keep the relationship alive. But Jesus can. No one can love you to the point of death and have that death give you life. But Jesus has. No one else can sing a sappy love song over you like, I've loved you forever. And actually have it be true. But Jesus can. No one else 
can do that for you except Christ. Only he brings wholeness to you. And maybe you've never known that that's how Christ feels about you, but that's how he feels about you. He cherishes you that much. And until you grasp that, relationships, love, and sex, they can be very warped for you because you will see them as a well that you're trying to draw wholeness and fulfillment out of when instead it's meant to be a glimmer and a glimpse of the wholeness and the fulfillment that comes from God. That's what it's meant to be. Now, that's not to say that, that our desire is, is merely a reflection. It also has practical use. I said, later, I said earlier that it's a resource. And it's a resource, uh, among other things, but our time is limited. It's a resource that's meant to, to foster the deepest of intimacy with a spouse. It's a resource toward intimacy. Now, the reason I say spouse and not girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, or person you found on Bumble, the reason I say spouse is because the scriptures, when it speaks positively about sexuality, and it speaks very, very positively about sexuality, it only speaks of it in terms of, of commitment and accountability. What, what we would call marriage. It only speaks of it in those terms, period, when it speaks of it positively within the boundaries of commitment and accountability. And there's several reasons for that. One, because again, it's a reflection of God's relationship to us. We experience the fullness of joy in him because he has made himself committed to us and he has been vulnerable with us in sacrificing himself on the cross. But also because there, there's this way in which God has wired the world to work. You see, one of, one of the deepest of human needs is for Intimacy. One of the deepest of human needs is to be fully known by somebody else, warts and all, yet fully accepted. Fully known, yet not rejected, still received. And, and in order to get intimacy, like true intimacy, it, it requires two things. It requires vulnerability and commitment. Vulnerability plus commitment is what equals intimacy. Vulnerability plus commitment is what equals intimacy. And, and, and sexual expression is meant to be the ultimate vulnerability that then enhances the ultimate commitment, which leads to the greatest of earthly intimacies. That's what it's meant to be. Which is why, if, if there's a, if there's, if there's a, uh, a sexual relationship where there is no marriage, without fail, one of the parties involved in that relationship will begin to require commitment. Because what do they ultimately want? Intimacy. Or if there is a marriage where there's no like physical expression of that love, without fail, someone in that relationship will begin to require that vulnerability. Why? Because what they want is intimacy. And in order to have deep intimacy, you need great vulnerability with total commitment that makes it safe, and that's how you get intimacy. It only happens when both those things are there. And when you divorce those two things, commitment and vulnerability, that's where lust kind of enters the picture and fills those gaps in this kind of warped desire to be known and to be seen and to be loved. Vulnerability plus commitment equals intimacy. So then what are we supposed to do? Well, again, we could talk about this for a long time, but, but really quickly, how do we deal with the reality of lust and, and sexual kind of drive and desire in our lives? Well, this is where I think Jesus's words about cutting off hands and gouging out eyes is really helpful. 
But like, uh, we take him seriously, but not literally. Let me just read this again to you. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that the whole body be thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Now again, Jesus is not being literal. Jesus is trying to get us to understand the intensity with which we should try to deal with stewarding sexual desire. And he's trying to help us to take it very seriously. And he wants, he wants his people to be proactive in pursuing a right stewardship of this desire. The eyes in the ancient world were about perspective. It was about mindset. And so followers of Jesus are to have a very mature mindset when it comes to this. We are to, we are to love this gift. We are to cherish this gift. We're to celebrate this gift. We are to respect the power in this gift. And that mindset of respecting the power, knowing that it is fire with all the good, but also huh, the potential for all the bad. That mindset of respecting it comes by choice. The hand, the hands are about action. We are to make wise choices when it comes to stewarding this desire. And bottom line, it means being very honest with yourself about what lights inappropriate flames. <laughs> it's about being honest with your spouse or the person you're dating, about being honest with your friends, about the things that may awaken an urge a desire, an expression in you that you know is not going to be helpful. And, and that boundary line is going to be drawn for different people. I, I can't stand up here and say you should never watch an R-rated movie, right? Uh, for some people, they may, they may be wired in such a way they can kind of handle that. And it doesn't, doesn't fan anything into flame. Others of you are like, I'll stick to Finding Nemo. Thank you so much. But you have to know that about yourself. And so bottom line, it comes, it's about a mature mindset and really wise actions that you respect this gift. I, I go back to Yosemite. It comes down to reading signs and asking questions. You walk through life and you say, is it wise to light a fire right now? Should I light a fire right now in this place, in this way? Should I light a fire right now? Or should I go home and just eat some cornflakes? What should I do? But know this. That when you fail in stewarding your sexuality, and you will fail, I will fail. I do, you do. We all have failure in our future. We do. The good news is that you are welcomed back each and every time by your betrothed, who still calls you lovely and beautiful and forgiven. I'll close with this. Uh, the story is told of an old-fashioned church revival. In this revival hall, uh, it was packed. It was so full that a young lady wearing her best Sunday dress, she was accidentally pushed from the balcony and she flipped over and her foot caught on the balcony and she was suspended upside down in her Sunday dress in front of the entire congregation. And immediately the preacher standing up front, he saw this and he said, gentlemen, there's a woman in her Sunday dress who is hanging upside down. If any of you look at her, may God strike you blind. And the crowd went silent and the eyes of all the men hit the floor. Until finally one elderly gentleman in the back, he stood up and he had one hand over one side of his face and he said, I got nothing to lose. I can spare an eye. That has nothing to do with our topic this morning. I just found that to be a funny story. 
The drive that God has given us is powerful. We're constantly wrestling with it, all of us. And as we do, my prayer is that we would have a mature perspective and wise actions. But not that we would be overly cautious as if it's gross, or that we would obsess over it and just let the, let the fire burn as though it's our God, but that we would believe and know that it's a gift. A gift that offers us, when rightly stewarded, a glimpse of the intimacy, the wholeness, the acceptance and the joy that is found in him. More Sermon on the Mount next week. Let's pray.